Hello, beautiful alchemist. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda. And I want to first just thank you for being here. Um, I have had community on the mind so much recently. And I'm just in connection to my deep appreciation for community, the opportunities to be able to share and learn and exchange with each other has been absolutely um, essential to my practice over these last years. And um, yeah, so just wanted to thank you sincerely for being here. And I hope that you are enjoying this new season of the podcast. One of the first things I also wanted to share is to thank the beautiful loves that showed up uh, last week for my very first Reiki Radio Roundtable. So as you may know, I created an app, the Energetic Alchemist app. You can download it from the Apple um, App Store or also on Google Play. But through the app, I will be sharing all kinds of content. But one of the things is that I will meet live on Zoom to discuss the podcast, the most recent episodes, but even more than that, I just want to be able to have community discussions about your practice. And when we met last Tuesday, um, it was the first one and there were just a few of us, but we had a beautiful conversation and it reminded me again of the power and the impact of community and how fortunate we all are to be able to connect and exchange no matter where we are in the world. So if you would like to join me and some others for the next Reiki Radio Roundtable, be sure to download the app. There is other content there as well. Um, one of the things I have been doing that's been a lot of fun is daily Oracle card readings. So I am doing readings by sign. So depending on the day of the week and which planet is associated with that day of the week, I am doing readings for the signs that that particular planet rules. So all of that is on the app, the Energetic Alchemist app on Apple App Store and Google Play. Okay, well, I think that's the only thing I need to update you with. Um, also wanted to let you know that there is a calendar of events on my website. So I often get emails about when I'm having certain classes or when the alchemy circle will begin again. And if you go to my website, theenergeticalchemist.com and scroll down, you'll see a calendar embedded on the first page. And there you can see the dates for everything that I do. So um, I hope that is helpful for you. But today on the episode, we're having a conversation with this beautiful woman named Angela Smith. And Angela is the founder of the Zen Dragonfly. She's also the founder of the School of Good Juju. And she and I cross paths on social media, as many of us do nowadays. And um, so I was very familiar with her work only through images. And I would see that she would post a lot about the um, decks that she was working with, um, the different systems of divination that she uses. And she also ordered my deck, the Energetic Alchemist Oracle deck. And um, she posted about that as well back when she ordered it at the very beginning of the launch. So we've been following each other, but we never got an opportunity to have a conversation or really get to know each other. And I looked to see what her work was about. And I was really excited to have her come on the podcast because 
I love just hearing all of the different ways that people are connecting with themselves in some spiritual way, no matter what the practice is, no matter what their um, system of philosophy may be. I, I just am very curious about all of the different ways that we express and use and share and how this work transforms us no matter what lens we are working through or from. So Angela is a Reiki master. She also is a Black folk traditions um, practitioner. She practices root work and conjure. Uh, she's also an herbalist. She teaches all kinds of uh, different classes, which you will find out about in this episode. But I'm really glad again that we got to have this conversation and just want to let you all know as well. I mean, I love hearing all of your stories. So again, if you want to join me for the Reiki Radio Roundtable discussion, mark your calendar for Tuesday, four o'clock Pacific, which is 7 p.m. Eastern. Download the app for that. But also, if you know anyone who is practicing or authored a book or teaching things that you think would be interesting for us to learn about as a community, tell them to reach out to me and um, let's have them on the show and have those conversations. So I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation with Angela. It was a lot of fun and I really appreciate her for coming. If you want to learn more about Angela and her work, go to Instagram at the Zen Dragonfly and you will find her there. You can also go to her website, the Zen Dragonfly.com. And I will put all the links to connect with Angela down in the show description. So that is all for now, beauty. I will see you on the other side of this episode. Okay, everyone, we are here today with the beautiful Angela Smith of the Zen Dragonfly and founder of the School of Good Juju. Um, Angela, I was telling you beforehand, I'm very excited about our conversation because I can't wait for all of us to learn more about the beautiful work that you provide. So I want to thank you first for agreeing to come and share with us today. You are welcome. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I just want to say it's amazing with social media. I'm terrible at social media, but thankfully I do come across people like you and all of this amazing work. And I would see posts of you sharing, um, you know, different readings and different systems of divination and all the different work that you do. And I know that you refer to yourself as a spiritual doula. So I mm -hmm. wanted to start off just by asking what that means for you, but also how you got into this work before we go into all the details. Okay. Well, the spiritual doula comes from the whole body of the work because um, it's like my everyday living. For me, it was everyday li living. I actually wanted to be a um, postpartum doula, but because I didn't want to do the baby part, they said, well, you have to do that part too. You have to take the whole class. And I was like, I don't want to take that whole class. I just want to be the postpartum. I want to be with the mommies after people forget about them, right? right? After they had the baby and now they don't have any support. I wanted to be that part. Um, and so I'm friends with a beautiful organization. They said, no, we want you. We need you. The doulas needed me. And I said, okay, so I can be a spiritual doula. They said, most definitely. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I found myself running in that path before I even ran in the path. 
Yeah. Before yeah. I gave it a name, I was already doing it. And so, um, and I, I'm a life coach. So in my life coaching, I actually work more so with people on a personal level, but also on their spiritual path. And a lot of them have been women that want to connect spiritually to their divine ways of being. And so that's how I got there. Um, overall, all of it is just wrapped up in who I am as growing up from a little child in the South with my aunties and grandmothers who kind of didn't tell me what it was about. They just did things with me and I took them in and they have been embedded and kind of asleep for a long time. Yeah. And then the, probably the last 20 years, they all came back to life. Wow. Okay. So first of all, so it sounds like you had this opportunity really to be of support for the doulas themselves. Is that mm -hmm. how you, yeah, that's amazing. Cause I think a lot of times we don't even consider the impact on those that are supporting others. So that had oh, to be sure. a phenomenal experience, but mm -hmm. even you mentioning about um, being around your family and maybe not knowing exactly what was being done, but you can't help but be touched by and absorb all that you're taking in. So could you talk a little bit about then what that, how you grew up and how that contributed to your lens and practices of spirituality now? Yeah, so I am from Anniston, Alabama, a little bitty town, probably like uh, two hours away from Atlanta and then probably two hours, maybe an hour and a half away from Birmingham. Um, I grew up there. I was born there, but didn't live there all my time. But mm -hmm. I moved back to the South and then um, always went to see my grandparents. I would just stay with them on the weekends while I lived in Georgia. Um, for me, uh, growing up was freedom, a lot of freedom. We had land and properties, three houses in a row on some land on a hill. And I just got to do, and I was the first I would, I don't want to say it out loud, but the first grandbaby of my grandmother's favorite child. And he, she had five boys and my father was her favorite. And so for me, and I think, well, when I think about, I am the oldest out of all his, the grandchildren. No, I'm not just out of my father's. And so um, just the fun that I had as a little person and those memories that started coming back to me like over time. And it was because I feel like when we are connected to religion, organized religion, there is some restraints put on us. I was a fully grown person when I realized what those restraints felt like. As a child, I'm doing what my parents want me to do. I was a good Lutheran little girl, Baptist little girl. And so I did the things that they wanted me to do. I think I was 30 when I realized that's not me. Like, this is not me. I see the racism in it. I see the, the overly machismo in it. And I didn't see the goddess in it. And I said, I gotta go. And so I started to remember my grandmother's and my aunt's ways. And they come to me on a regular basis. They show up and they were telling me and showing me and other people were telling me there's some people in your family that practice like this. And I was like, really? Because it came so naturally to me. And so um, I always say to people that my spiritual practice is how I live. It's not something that I do to connect. It is how I live every day. I live like this 365 
all the time, even in the smallest way of washing my hands and washing my face and then getting a chair and sit with my answers there. Okay, so this is the assignment for today. Y'all ready? This is what we got to do. <laughs> Yeah. Right. In the smallest ways, connecting to them, but also connecting to the overarching vastness of what the divine is, which is pretty much probably goddess. Right. right. Connecting in that way. So, yeah, that's how it feels. And, I, and if I could read these, I'm like, when was that? I don't even know. And how did it just show up? It just showed up. And it was from the constant conversations with people saying, this feels like this has been with you all your life. Or people who are psychic telling me, you have lived this life a couple of times. And I said, now I feel like it. Like I've been doing this. It's real easy. I didn't study it in some instances. It just was there. And so I've been living like this. So was it an experience of, okay, you were seeking something else around 30 and then you started noticing or feeling the presence of ancestors. Was that what drew you into curiosity to go deeper? Or was there always something in you that felt kind of, I don't know, I can only say like mystical, that you always had a curiosity there? Yeah, I feel like it was always there. My mother and I had a conversation when I um, in the last couple of years because she actually saw it go full blown. And she was like, she came into the kitchen and she said, um, Angela, are you a witch? And I said, a witch? I said, I'm a goddess. I'm a hoodoo. But that's coming from you, your family, and daddy's family. And she was like, yeah, this was on both our sides. But no one ever talks about it. Right. Right? So now she's more open to talk about it because she see, she see me. And right. she see exactly who I am. And so when I think about it, it's just been there. It's always there. And I have to ask you to give me the question again. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, that You answered it. But you okay. you bring up another question for me to ask you because mm -hmm. I think um, my grandmother was also from the South. And uh, yeah, she was, she was, she was born in 1906. So okay. luckily mm -hmm. I had her until I was 23, 22, oh, 23. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, just thinking about some of her remedies for healing, right? And mm -hmm. my aunt still has one of the old um, bottles that have the the rock candy and the fruit and all this other stuff in there. But mm -hmm. you make me think about that. So even within a lot of our lineages and within our culture, a lot of the spiritual practices and teachings were um, not spoken of for various reasons. I mean, not only was there um, an attempt to take it away from us by force, but then those aspects that have been remembered, they were kind of like practiced in secrecy or maybe not spoken about directly. And then mm -hmm. it's interesting now seeing this like resurrection of people bringing back to light what has been in our lineage. So I wanted to ask you a bit about that. So once you just went in, Let's say you went in and you started working with your ancestors. What was that like for you? What has that journey been like for you? And what have you been learning? And what are you passing on? Yeah, so the journey for me at first was scary because I yeah. was like, whoa, wait, did I just hear somebody talking to me? Or did I just smell my aunt smoking a cigarette? You know, I could smell that cigarette smell. 
And um, it's one of my friends who um, was here one day and I had showed her, I follow someone on Instagram named Kristen and she does, she was doing a like charm casting. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And it just felt like, shoom. I was sucked right into it. Yeah. So in a matter of a couple of days, I had put a whole set together. I called my friend and said, come over here, I got to show you this. And I did a reading for her. She was like, whoa, how did you learn this? I said, I don't know. And then so she sat for a minute and they came to her and told her, someone in your fa her family does this. She described the lady, but I couldn't register who it was. I tell my mom about it. And she was like, oh, that's Amy. And I was like, oh. So the next time I sat, I just started to cry. Because I can feel her just wrapping her arms around me. I can see her with me. And I just sat there with all these little charms and stuff in front of me crying, going, oh my goodness, where have I been, right? But I found out and realized, and most, a lot of people understand this, is that when we get time with ourselves and we really sit still, every our connections to the divine, our ancestors, our helping spirits, they all show up. They show up in such a way that we can try to fight it because we don't want nobody to think we're crazy. <laughs> and then eventually it gets so loud that you cannot avoid it. So for me, that was that moment where I realized this is who they are. And so when I started doing readings for people with the charms, every time I would do a reading, it's like, get rid of that charm, get a bone. And I was like, okay, where am I? I'm in the city. Where am I getting bones from? Right. And they would just show me, introduce me to people who had farms who said, oh, yeah, I got some bones. I'll send them to you. What? OK. <laughs> right. And so my set just kept changing. But when I'm in a reading, I would try not to say that the information was coming from them because mm -hmm. I didn't want nobody. She talked to spirits. She crazy. <laughs> but um, as of today, that does not happen. I just say, I'm going to just warn you right now. I got ancestors. It's three ladies. They might come through. If I start cussing, that's my aunt. <laughs> and I just warn people that they're here. And I even now, I can feel them with me because they can't help but be with us because they're our DNA. They're in our DNA. And they are in the water that we traveled in. So that same water that they had to travel across the Atlantic or not, because some of us were already here, that that's in us as well. That water runs through us. And I just now am over time realizing this always been here. I just had time to sit still. Hopefully, I think a lot of people during COVID days had time to sit still and connect as well um, to that energy and their own personal powers as well. But for me, it was one winter that I sat still. I was just, I was having clients, but I wasn't doing a lot of work and I wasn't even trying to promote it. I just wanted a free winter. And it was really bad here. The weather was really bad. And so that's where it really showed up. And then it was just boom, on. I couldn't even stop myself. It was daily. I love this. It's so interesting. It's funny. I never even made the connection of something you just said. So, you know, I've been practicing, had meditation practice, worked with different guides for many years now. But during COVID, there were very specific guides that I was unfamiliar with that are mm -hmm. connected to my ancestry that came through during that time. 
And mm-hmm. I remember thinking like, God, this is so strange. Like, why are they coming now? And yeah, but I didn't even think about it. It was during that time where, you know, we were just sitting more than I normally would have um, at that time. But listening mm-hmm. to you, and it sounds like your ancestors have played a huge role in guiding you through your work and in the work that you do. And I just want to ask you for people listening, because I think a lot of people do get some kind of inclination or feel some kind of draw or feel the presence of their ancestors. And mm-hmm. fortunately, some people, they trust it, they follow it. But a lot of people doubt, like, how could I really be in connection with my ancestors? Or am I really feeling the presence of someone in my lineage that I may not even know? Was mm-hmm. there any part of you that had to um, work to really feel comfortable and more receptive to what was coming through? How did you work through that? No. <laughs> no, because because uh, of what I said, I know they're with me. Right. They're part of and the those three, they were there. I grew up with them. I saw them. I kissed them. I hugged them. I blew my breath into them. They blew their breath into me. Right. They blew their breath into my hands and my feet all the time. So I knew who they were. I felt them. I felt their love around me. I felt they were with me. And so, but there are some that are far away from us that loved us because they knew we were coming and they were setting the paths up for us to get here. And so the invitation is always to venerate the ancestors, set something up for them so you can connect with them. But it does take us sitting still, you know, so we can have those experiences where you go, I thought I heard Aunt May talking to me, right? <laughs> and I was like, all of a sudden, I felt this warm embrace. And so we go, whoo, this is scary, right? And so, but it's because of our background with organized religion that says you're not supposed to talk to the spirits. But we should talk to our spirits. That is really what made us be right here, right now. We should talk to our ancestors. So it's a matter of what do you believe? I can't make you believe in them. Mm -hmm. But you have to decide where you are in this to say, I I felt that. I felt this warmth. I felt this love. I felt this energy. Because there's other things that can call us as well than our ancestors, hence deities, orishas. People easily adjust themselves to the Orishas without even having a direct connect to them, even though they are correct, connected divinely, right? And so we have to just be open to those experiences to be able to say, these are my people, right? These are my people. And we will find that they, you can ask the question, are you for me? (laughs) That's the best thing to do is to ask the question. And once we get that yes, or we get that no, we go, okay, well, if it's no, then I'm going to leave you alone, right? Yeah. And if we get that yes, then it's on. Let's do this, right? How do I need to do this for you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to ask you this, too, because I know people listening are probably like, wait, 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 go back to what she said, <laughs> because <laughs> you did mention um, reading Charms and Bones. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about that system of divination and how that may be different or similar to using cards like tarot and oracle yeah and so i don't even know where this came so charms were all these little man-made pieces mostly Mm -hmm. metal um and they're manufactured and they all had so a house would be 
the house you live in or whatever you assign it. Um, but it's also things that you found, a old little ring that you held on to. So now we are looking at what is love or marriage or loving ourselves or whatever you assign it. The Over time, you assign everything. You assign what it means. But if we look at divination from its very beginning without these man-made pieces, it was mostly um, animal bones. So think of cultures where they would burn a scapula of an animal over a fire to look and see what the burnt parts looked like to tell them where to travel to next or where was the food. So that was a way to divine. When we look at um, indigenous black people here in this country, we look at how they use chicken bones and kairi shells and nuts and roots to divine with, to tell the story. Because for us, tarot didn't really exist at that time. What did exist maybe over later on after slavery was playing cards, which was accessible and it was entertainment. So people would start using playing cards to divine with. Later on, when we get deeper into um, root work and conjure, here comes tarot. Right, so now we like eight, 1900s, 40s, where people are starting to divine with tarot um, because now they got a little bit more access and they probably have a little bit more money where they might want to buy a deck. But before then, we weren't divining with tarot. Tarot didn't even exist in this country yet. Um, and so for us, it always has been maybe a chicken bones and like I said, Kyrie shells. And we know that in ATRs and African traditional religions, divining with bones and Kyrie shells and nuts and uh, roots have always been part of the culture. Things that luckily still traveled back um, to this country. And so that's where it came from. But for me, it was assigning each item to have their meaning. So because I was reading tarot and looking at oracle cards, it was easier for me to assign stuff kind of relating to tarot. Right. Because we know that tarot is a psychological journey of a person's life. So I can relate some of these bones to that. And over time, some of my bones told me, paint me. So I would paint them chakra colors. And then they would come out in my casting as, oh, we need to work on your root chakra, yeah, right? And we need to work on your heart chakra because I had a uh, green painted bone. I would have a black bone meaning death, like a transformation is happening. And so when it relates to tarot for me, it is based on some things in tarot, but also how would I relate to somebody? How would this bone look if it's laying on top of this? And a lot of it is intuition. And intuitive. It's not even really, um, you can get a book and Michelle Jackson Johnson is probably one of the best books that I found on bone divination, but then you still are going based on what you know to help you divine that. Where tarot is a system where it's laid out. They tell you, if you get four of swords, sit your ass down. <laughs> <laughs> take a break, but be ready to go, right? And you know that's what that card means. So any deck that you pull that's kind of like a clone to the original Rider Waite, you know that when you pull that Four of Swords, you know what it means out of any deck that you have. But when it comes to bone, that's dependent on each reader, how they're going to interpret 
what they have laid out. Some people read with 50 pieces. Some people read with just 10. But I think I probably got about 50 in mind, but I just grab a handful and then cast them. And so, um, and I actually do it more like a ritual than just pulling cards. Right. I mean, I do cards like a ritual, but not like I do these. Before my clients come, I have to sit with them. I clean them. Sometimes I put them in cornmeal, sit them outside in the sun. I bathe them. I talk to them. I pray over them, tell them this is the name of the person that's coming. And then I go into the reading. Once they get here, I do some ritual work with them as centering and a couple of deep breaths to get them grounded down to be able to ask their questions. And then they breathe into the bones and then hand it back to me. So it is different, but not. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, listening to you, the way you describe it, it, what really strikes me and the difference is the the deep necessity for relationship relationship Mm -hmm. with what you're divining with relationship to divine relationship to yourself and like that trust that has to be there because just like you're saying for say tarot or oracle for example people can memorize the cards and they can just read based off of the given definitions Mm -hmm. whereas what you're describing is really I think it's a beautiful way of probably helping someone even intentionally or unintentionally coming into deeper relationship with themselves because you Mm -hmm. would have to be I mean that just sounds like there has to be this deep like trust and knowing and this deep energetic awareness and connection for you to even be able to work with um, these tools in that way Mm -hmm. so that's it's actually really interesting yeah, because you're creating the space for them. Right. You're honoring them. It's just like when we work with herbs, we pray over the herbs before we use them. We lift them up. I blow my breath on them. I love on them. I sing songs to the herbs. It's the same thing with our divination tools. And I'm not saying that you can't make that connection with tarot, right. but this is different because this was a living thing, right? Mm-hmm. This was an animal that, I don't know. Usually most of the stuff I is found. I found mm-hmm. deer teeth. Like last year I found deer teeth and I went, well, the deer, that time, that time was up for that deer. And so mm-hmm. I always leave some money. I pour some water and I ask if it's okay to take the deer bone, the deer teeth. And so we, and then we decide how to honor that. So I got it home. I cleaned it. I uh, put it in some Florida water. I talked to it and I said, well, we're going to be about gossiping and talking, right? And it was, I felt that energy saying, yep, now that you got me, we're going to talk. And I'm like, okay. And so it is making a deeper connection um, from my standpoint than sometimes with my decks. I love decks, so I have a lot. I even have your deck, you know. And so, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is a kind of a different vibe and it feels very... Um, earthly in connection it also feels very old in connection because we know that's probably one of the first forms of divination for what we know um, Mm -hmm. that we can see in front of us because a lot of things we can't see it but yeah I think um, it is a very deep connection that is made with them 
Well, I have to ask you this too, because I know now, like, as I mentioned in the beginning, you have the school of good juju and Mm -hmm. um, you have this beautiful business, the Zen dragonfly. What inspired you then to want to share your work and support people? What is the goal of the school and what is it that you teach there? Okay. So (laughs) um, when I was, out loud practicing because I wasn't before I was quietly doing my thing and I would tiptoe around stuff and make a pose but I wouldn't say what it was about I um just wasn't showing up I wasn't showing up and one day I was sitting with my cards and I heard my grandmother say stop playing you can't keep doing this you need to show people who you are and I was like so I made this massive post on Facebook Because I said, I can't be this way anymore. I have to show up. And that's when it started. And then people would constantly message me, asking me questions. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no. Y'all not going to keep asking me all these questions. And y'all not paying for me? (laughs) No, we're not doing that no more. And so, and I did it for the longest time until I realized, no, Angela, you can't keep doing this. So I had a friend who coached me through some business coaching. And she said, so Angela, um, what what would you want to do? What would you, if you had this wild dream, what would you do? And I said, I would like to have a school that's based on all these practices that everyone is asking me how to do. And she was like, so why can't you? I said, because I don't want to teach. <laughs> <laughs> she said, excuse me, you want a school? I said, I don't want to teach. I want somebody to come and teach it. And she was like, mm, but everyone's calling for you. I said, I know, but I don't want to teach. But I know deep inside embedded in me is the teacher. I can't help it. And so um, she asked me again. And she said, so what would you call it? And I said, School of Good Juju. Just playing. She was like, oh, that's a good one. And I was like, yeah. And then she's like, so when are you going to do it? And I was like, girl, I ain't going to do nothing. (laughs) I'm not doing that. And um, the year 2019... I put it all together. I did the outline for it. I started looking to create the logo. And the first class was in the beginning of COVID. I had nine women who signed up for it. And I emailed and I said, well, they're getting ready to put us on lockdown. And they was like, no, they're not. I said, yes, they are. (laughs) Because I had already heard it coming. I said, they're going to put us on lockdown. So do y'all really want to do this class or not? And they were like, no, we're coming in class. We're coming. And so, um, and that was the start of it. And it just has been going nonstop. Every other month I would teach a class. um, And what I teach in the class is divination. So the first class is always about divination. So it's about how to divine the charms because I stopped curating bones. They have to curate their own bones. And then um, tarot, uh, tea leaf reading, and pendulum work um, are the four main things that they teach. And they get all of these things as well. So they get a charm set, they get a tarot deck, they get a pendulum, and we do the tea leaf reading together. And actual tea leaf readings. And so um, that's the first one. Then they learn about candle work, how to do a candle, how to dress candles, how to put your intention into it, how to do your petitioning, how to do sigils, how to do a honey jar, water jars, a sour jar, 
um, how to petition to the ancestors, how to set up altars for ancestors for love and money, how to set those up, how to work with deities that may call you sometimes because sometimes they do show up and call for you and how to work with them, how to do their correspondence and everything that they need. And then it just cord now, it's, you know, the longer I keep practicing, the more stuff I learn. Right. So now it's cord tying, how to tie cords and how do you petition with cords? And so they learn a lot of stuff in a matter of 12 hours, but four hours a class in four mm-hmm. Sundays. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. And they make powders because, you know, a lot of time we and what really caused me to do this part was we see so many people with product everywhere. You get this stuff and it sits. I don't know how to use it. <laughs> right? So you got this Jezebel. Someone bought some Jezebel oil for me. And she said, yeah, I bought it last year, but I haven't used it. I said, well, what good is that? I should tell you to bring it back and give it to me. <laughs> You're not using it. Right? And so I said, well, people need to learn how to use these oils too. But I also teach them how to make them as well. And then how you set your intention to into an oil. And then how do you use this oil? How do you use powder for foot traffic? How do you go to a crossroad? You know, all these things are wrapped up in that. So you can be empowered in your practice, whatever it looks like. I always say, you know, take the meat and chew it and throw out what you don't want. Right? You don't want that fat? Throw it out. You don't want that bone? Get rid of it. You might want to hold that bone, <laughs> but it's really giving people space to just be empowered and then find their lane that feels good for them. Some people in the divination section, they like, my thing is a pendulum and they end up loving working with a pendulum. Some people really like tarot and they like it like I do because of artwork. And that's why I buy decks. <laughs> and so some people find that the tea leaf reading is they like it, you know, and a lot of people don't really vibe with it. For whatever reason, I think you got to get in child's mind state to get into tea leaf reading. And so it's just giving people opportunities in the space to ask me all those questions that they always ask me. And it also is give them space to be empowered to create a practice that looks like them. Because you hear so many people on TikTok and on Instagram um, telling people how you need to do your practice. And I don't do that. I say, this is how I do it. What would you do for yours? What feels good for you? Because that is really the way to practice is doing what feels good for you and it'll keep you in your practice. Because if you try to stay, because what's the whole purpose of practice if we're going to get restricted by the whole thing that we left that was restricting us? No, that makes all the sense in the world. So there's two things I have to ask you um, before Mm -hmm. we go to, because I I mean, time just flies so fast. We still have 20 minutes, but time flies, I know. But I want to ask you one about Reiki. But before that, I have to ask you if you can clarify for people, um, mm, I don't want to say the meaning, but I think a lot of times when people hear the word hoodoo, they're freaked out. They're automatically like they go into fear, even hearing about some of the practices and even the systems of divination that you've mentioned, like people, you know, they freak out like, "Ah, what, you know? Mm -hmm. So could you talk a little bit about that and helping people that may not have any understanding, understand what it really is? Okay. 
And so I think what happened with hoodoo, they get it confused with voodoo or vodou, which okay. is a religion. Haitian by nature, religion. Villainized by movies, right? So the movies took it and made it into a terrible thing and the church particularly took it and made it into an even worse thing, right? When really hoodoo is a veneration of the ancestors and it is a piece of American culture that was a necessity for slaves to survive. So here we are in America still trying to survive, right? And so this practice is brought on by survival and a celebration of our culture, right? And so it is not even for the most part, not to harm anyone, but to exact our power that we have within us that was given to us by the ancestors. However, I will add this little piece is that the reason why we are still here is probably from those root workers, right? Because they exacted some of the vengeance that needed to happen against slave owners to keep a lot of our ancestors alive. Not only did they know about plant medicine to make a salve for someone who was almost whipped to death, but they also knew how to cure colic on a baby. They knew how to feed a family with herbs if they didn't have nutritional food to eat, they would find the herbs to help with the nutrition of a baby. And so these people were the ones that helped exact the things that we needed to see. So hoodoo is a practice. It is not a religion. And some people will say that it is, but it's not. It's a practice because each person that practice hoodoo, they all do it differently. Some people work with orishas. Some people are Ifa and they add that practice in. But for the most part, it is a practice. And some people will say that it should be closed and I get it, I understand it. But it is a practice that keeps developing over time, every generation, and it keeps looking different. And as we grow with technology, that practice is gonna look <clears throat> different. But I do believe at the core of hoodoo, it is the root of everything. And it is a veneration of working with our ancestors more than anything. It doesn't have to any, do with anything on the outside world. It's just within us and a practice that we have. Yeah, it, it is. It's fascinating to me to see how much, again, um, that I guess to say it's like coming from underground, like it's coming more, uh, even younger generations are connecting more with working with the ancestors and working with mm -hmm. the older traditions. And I, I think it's just amazing to me that any of it has survived. I mean, more specifically here in our country, I mean, just the mm -hmm. thought that any of it survived um, in of itself is just, it's amazing. But um, mm -hmm. I thank you so much for sharing that because I know a lot of people hear these things and they have a lot of negative connotation or misunderstanding oh, sure. yeah so I mean, I, yeah it's like tarot mm -hmm. oh i'm not getting those cards right you're gonna tell me i'm gonna die <laughs> <laughs> yeah listen i was nervous to try tarot for years too because of everything i heard about i was like oh i don't know about that the death card the devil card i don't know what those cards are oh. and now i mean those are some of my favorite cards i love it's interesting how much um fear 
can keep us away from so much understanding. But in other news, I also wanted to make sure to ask you about Reiki, because I know that you are also a Reiki teacher and practitioner. So how did that come into your life? How did this show up on the path? Yeah, so I um, had just got this house and this window right here, um, I had pulled it up and sprained my back. So I go to this place that was like a holistic center. They had a Chinese medicine doctor, acupuncture, massage, Nia, yoga. They had all these things and a medical clinic attached to it. And so I didn't want to go to the medical clinic. So I said, I'm going to go to the holistic side. And the Chinese medicine doctor had prescribed herbs that he made into capsules for me for my pain. And then he said, I want you to made a prescription for me to go to acupuncture, massage and Reiki. So I did the other two because I knew what they were. But Reiki, mm -mm, I didn't know what it was. So I did some research and I was like, ah, this don't even sound right. And so, <laughs> yes, I had some skepticism in me. And so I go to the session for the Reiki. She pointed out something that happened to me two years earlier that I had fell on a marble floor and twisted my ankle up. And to this very day, my ankle still bothers me. And she found it. And she said, well, I didn't find it. The Reiki did. And I was like, now that is something right there. That doesn't even make sense. But she knew what it was. I didn't tell her. And I can feel the energy flowing through me. And I was like, this is weird. And so I did a little bit more digging. And again, the signs showed up. I'm going into a bookstore that's getting ready to close. There's one book sitting on the shelf. And it was Diane Stein's um, Rake, Complete Reiki. And I looked around the store and I'm like, nobody's going to get this book. It's only it's like on the shelf by itself. And yeah. it's kind of like, hey, come on. And so I get the book and I start reading the book front to back and going, I got to figure out where just where can I take this class? And I took the first level um, on that very first level day. I was like, OK, can we do my level two? Because I'm ready. I'm ready. And she was like, you are ready. But no, you cannot. With me, you have to practice for a year. And I was like, I do not need to practice. <laughs> she was no longer my teacher. <laughs> so, um, and I just went on from there. And so, um, and, and I'm that kind of person that, you know, that Capricorn energy mixed with that cancer <laughs> um, that have to go all the way. So I was like, I got to do this all the way. And I wasn't seeing a lot of black practitioners in Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I, yeah, I got to find me a black teacher, but I couldn't even find one. There were none. And so mm -hmm. I said, oh, it's got to be somebody black. So I um, did the Reiki master teacher level, and I've been doing Reiki <laughs> ever since, probably yeah. 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. And I'm nodding because when I um, first started in all of this, every class I went to, everything, not just Reiki, I, literally everything mm -hmm. I went to, there were really no people of color. I was pretty much the only one. And it's amazing now to see again, um, how so much is growing and changing um, and being able to see on social media, 
that there is a lot of diversity now within the Reiki community. Oh, for sure. And mm -hmm. I've met several people who are now um, bringing other perspective and, you know, conversation around. It's, it's just, it's all really fascinating. So it anyway, is. but this is something mm -hmm. also that you will be teaching again. So I want to make sure that People are, because I'm sure they're like curious, like, who is she? What is happening? Where do I learn from her? <laughs> uh, so your classes, are they only local or do you teach anything online as well? Yeah, so I'm working on, so this will be my first time. Let me back up. I did for the first time because I kind of was still skeptical about doing a virtual Reiki class. Uh -huh. And I had never really done one. I just was like, I don't know. I've done Reiki, like distance Reiki for people, which I had to go, Angela, well, if you did it distantly, why wouldn't you do an attunement distantly? But I like people being up close to them. And so I did a level two distance. And she was like, oh, my goodness. It was amazing. I felt everything. I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, okay, we can do this. And so I'm going to be doing a virtual level one and two to start. And then I'll be doing in-person as well for all three levels. Uh, I'm just going to start on the virtual level one and two um, because I think they got to really practice that one. Yeah. And then I'll do a virtual master class. But for right now, um, everything is still in person except for those two. And so those will be coming up in the spring months, probably April and May. I just have to set up my date. Nice. Okay. And then the um, School of Good Juju, is that only local or? Right now, yes. I'm a one woman show. I don't have any. I got to find me some people. I understand. <laughs> it's so much. It is. <laughs> it is so much. And I'm like, this is overwhelming. And people are like, I would come to lady in New York. She's like, I would come to your class if you would do it online. And I'm like, yeah, hold on. <laughs> and I don't know if I, I want to do an online version of it. And that's what I'm going to be working on this year is having an online version, but it's still in person. And I think it's in person because I give so much stuff to my students to have and there is hands on. So they're making things as well. I've had had people who drive to come to class. So as far as maybe two to three hours a drive that'll come up and have had people come and stay at the house and get the whole class in a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, listen, maybe we'll have to talk offline and I'm going to talk you into it because it's doable. Cause even this year um, when I did my, well, I'm still in the middle of it, actually the Oracle class, I had to send boxes to everyone who's in the class. Cause there were the same, mm -hmm. there were different, elements that we would be using in the class um and I had to mail out everything oh I'm going to talk you into it so everyone listening <laughs> be sure to check back frequently for Angela's um, upcoming events I mean but you do have the in-person um school of good juju you have enrollment <laughs> happening in March so anyone who yeah. is local in Milwaukee can absolutely check that out but mm -hmm. people can also follow you online and you post a lot and you share um, different information about all the things that we've talked about and even more. Like mm -hmm. we didn't even get to talk about, I wanted to talk to you about working with herbs. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll have to have another discussion one day because there's just so much <laughs> to your work. 
And I wanted to talk to you about the power of ritual and working mm -hmm. and doing ceremony. So all that said, can you, before we go, can you share some other elements of your work that you do provide and that you offer? Yeah. And so um, during COVID days, I had started, I had always said I wanted singing bowls to add to my Reiki sessions. And so I bought singing bowls, the Tibetan ones and the crystal ones during COVID days and start doing, um, adding that into my sessions. And so I started doing sound healing sessions with the singing bowls and tuning forks um, and, and the chimes, adding those in, the pyramids, the copper pyramids, I just went crazy and started doing those sessions um, with people as well. And I actually get ready to do a new session that's um, with the biomat with the crystals in it. Yes. So I'm gonna either, I'm gonna add those sessions in as well, but I do shamanic um, journey work as well. Um, and I love when people think that we shouldn't be doing drumming. You took the drum from us. <laughs> we were born with a drum in us and then you took it because you didn't like us communicating with each other and so um, I do shamanic um, journey work with people as well and then I do spiritual baths too um, and I do a crystal session that's only for women so I do that kind of work as well Most, everything is healing sessions right yeah. everything is healing sessions mm-hmm well, I have yeah, to ask you this one last thing because <laughs> we're going to tell them how to connect with you too, but I want to make sure to get this in. I mean, you really have shared um, a lot beautifully about all of the work, um, your connection to the work, connection to ancestors. Could you share a little bit of how this, how would you say it impacts your life or influences your life? Because you said, you know, it is infused in just how you live. So how would you mm -hmm. describe I guess the texture of your life in relation to what it is that you practice and what you have embraced. Yeah, I think texture, that's a good one. The texture is feels very rich, but yet it feels country. Because <laughs> <laughs> deep down in my soul, I'm just a Southern girl, right? But it feels, um, it when I move through the house, because it's three floors to my house, and when I move through the house, it always feels like I'm walking into, when I walk into my workspace, it feels like the energies of this space go, hey girl, what we making today? What you teaching today? You got readings today? What you doing today? You got the store open? Um, and it just feels like, it feels like this is where I'm supposed to be. I tried to leave here and do this work in another space. And it just was, it was, it worked. It was beautiful. But COVID happened and it brought me right back to this house. And I'm happy to be here to do this work. It feels like this is the kind of house I need to be in. So I'm not in a brick and mortar per se, but it is the kind of space to do the work in. I don't know where I can do a spiritual bath at. Yeah. Right? I need to be in a house. Um, and so it feels, I feel like the house actually... <laughs> decided how this work would be. I did some research on the house and this was what they would call a mansion, 1897. It would be a mansion. And when people come in that are spiritually connected or have some empathic abilities, they were like, 
Angela, it's people in the living room having cocktails. And I'm like, really? And they were like, yep, they just sitting around having cocktails. And then I would come downstairs and some of my friends would say, who are these people all around you? And I said, I don't know. They maybe they're my ancestors. She said, they are staring me down, <laughs> you know. Or when people come in that are connected, they'll go, it's it's some things in here that's touching me. And they're like, wanna rub my hand and everything. So the house felt like it picked me yeah. to be in it. And so it feels the texture of it is very, again, I say rich. That's what I get. And it feels um, loving and abundant and it has been home for family members and friends who needed a place it has been an airbnb has been around people all the time so it feels like i always say i feel like i've been doing this for lifetimes i've always been this type of person and so it just keeps coming at me yeah it just keeps coming that way and i'm happy this is the this is my soul lane right? This is the lane that I'm supposed to be in. And every time I want to stop or fight against it, it this sucker punches me and says, get back up, <laughs> get back in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it lovingly. <laughs> I was like, is there an exit? I don't really think so. But yeah, I'm like, that's cute, Angela. It's not an exit. I think what the exit is, is knowing that not only do I leave this legacy with my daughter who practices as well, but not as deep as I want her to, right? Okay, that's her. But leaving this legacy that it's all these people that I have worked with and been in school with, in school with Juju or bought product from, that they know how to use it, that they have been empowering their lives. And when I see them doing stuff, I'd be like, look at that, I'm the auntie, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm going, Look at what they're doing. And so it's so it becomes this new generation of people out here doing it, but it also becomes older people that recognize, oh, this was in my family. Yeah. Right. And now reconnecting in a deeper way. It's funny you so. say that because uh, during COVID, at some time, I just felt for some reason called to buy Rose of Jericho and mm -hmm. I never used it. I mean, I still, I mean, how many years ago was that? And I still have it in a box because I was like, I'm not really sure. Like, I feel like maybe I should do some ritual around it before I do it or, you know, before I put it in the box anyway. But that was the exact reason. Never even took it so out of the box. you still haven't done it? I still haven't done it. Mm -mm. Okay. So here's my invitation to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So tonight, get it. Um, they usually say like purify water, distill water. It can take tap water as well, but I usually smoke it through some smoke and okay. then put it in a glass bowl or some type of vessel that you say, I want you to be honored. And then because the water from the Rose of Jericho is good to do for a spiritual bath, mm -hmm. the, when the Jericho, when it opens, it is the energy of uh, rebirthing. And so there's a good time to do a petition as it opens. But it's also a good time to do any money stuff, like using the water to clean a candle, to do some money work, and also to speak into it and say, you're going to bring me abundance. I, I'm going to be transformed by this. I'm going to find my way to not being afraid of my greatness. You're, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to look at my life as scarcity, right? And so it can be helpful in that way. You just have and use that water. 
okay, Miss Sandra, yeah, let me tell you water. something. This conversation okay. has been everything, but just that alone. I was like, now listen, that is right on time. Maybe that's why I've been holding it all these years. No, but really, because I, I do, I feel like I'm literally going through some rebirthing right now. And I was just literally thinking in the shower this morning, like, man, this is an interesting, mm-hmm. towering experience. I mean, it doesn't feel awful at all. It's just the awareness of mm-hmm. it. So what you just shared is right on time, and I can't thank you enough for that. Well, then use that rose. <laughs> yeah, thank you welcome so much. Yeah, because that's so, why I always was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I have not taken it out of the box. So I want to make sure everyone does know how to contact you the best, the best ways. Yeah. So um, through all the socials, because I don't do Twitter. I don't understand Twitter, so I left it alone. But I do Instagram and Facebook. Um, and there is on the Instagram page a link tree so they can get access to everything. Um, so on Instagram is under the Zen Dragonfly as well on Facebook. Um, and then the website is under the same name. So it's a dot com. And they can find me in those spaces for now. Those Perfect. are the places. Mm-hmm. So the com or Instagram at the Zen Dragonfly. And I'll have mm-hmm. the links to everything down yeah. in the show description. Yeah. But I have to tell you, one, it was a pleasure to meet you, truly meet you, and not just, you know, like yeah. hey on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really am thankful for the conversation. So thank you so yeah, much for the work you. that you're doing and sharing. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you. And again, thank you for having me. I I'm so honored to be a part of this, to have yeah. someone else see you, right? Yeah, yeah. That we Listen, see each other. We see each mm-hmm. other. And I thank you, my mm-hmm. love. And for everyone else, be sure to check out Angela's work. And we will see you next time. Bye for now. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, beautiful alchemist. I want to very, very, I want to first and foremost give a very special thank you a huge thank you to Angela um Angela thank you so much again for coming and sharing about your work and educating us and if you want to connect with Angela again her website is thezendragonfly.com you can also find her under the same name on Instagram the links to connect with Angela are down in the show description And don't forget to download the Energetic Alchemist app and you can join me for the Reiki Roundtable tomorrow. Um, There's also just so much content in there as well as you can watch these interviews through the app as well. So it's really convenient. But I thank you all for being a part of the community, allowing me to be a part of your community. And don't forget, if you wanna see what I have upcoming, just go to my website, scroll down on the homepage and you will see the calendar of events. Last thing, if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for my newsletter because you get access to 22 Days of Transformation as a free gift from me to you. And even if you've done it in the past, you might want to log into your account and check it out again because it has been updated. So I thank you all for being here again. I will see you next week. And remember to always journey in love. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.